This is a message from Grace Church, located in Frisco, Texas, a suburb of Dallas-Fort Worth. Grace Church is affiliated with Sovereign Grace Ministries. The Grace Church website is gracechurchfrisco.org. The speaker for this message is Craig Cabanis, the senior pastor of Grace Church. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. The Gospel of Matthew chapter 9. And we're continuing uh, the very passage that we looked at last week. And uh, if you weren't here last week, I'll review what we covered, so you'll be able to track with us immediately. Uh, but we are looking at the passage from the end of chapter 9 of Matthew. Of course, next week, next Sunday, we'll have our Christmas presentation with all kinds of music and a kid's choir and stuff like that. So if I could just echo what was communicated before, this is just a unique, unique opportunity uh, to grab one of those red flyers and invite someone uh, so that they could come and actually hear the gospel. This could be someone you know well. This could be someone you meet uh, at the, you know, the wait person at the restaurant this afternoon, whatever. But people will respond at this time. And so what a great opportunity we have. And that really ties in kind of with what this passage is about. Um, let me read it, and then we will pray. Matthew 9, verse 35. And Jesus went throughout all the cities and villages teaching in their synagogues and proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. Then he said to his disciples, the harvest is plentiful but the laborers are few. Therefore, pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Let's pray. Oh Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the clarity, the truth, the power of your word. And we pray that right now your Holy Spirit would speak through your word and that you would address our hearts, that you would lift our eyes, that we might see you and your purposes afresh. Lord, we pray this morning that we would not merely have an intellectual transfer of information, but we pray that we would encounter you by your Spirit, that your Spirit would touch our hearts, and that we would see what you see and feel what you feel regarding those who are without a shepherd. So God, speak to us today and uh, help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let me review a little bit about what we talked about uh, last, last week. Hey, Tim, I'm hearing some kind of echo up here. I don't know if you're hearing it. It may just be me. Uh, these kind of things happen to me in regular life. Not really. Uh, so if you can't do anything about it, I'll live with it. But uh, if you can... Um, that'd be great. Okay, here's what's been happening. We talked about this little passage is a summary passage about the motive of Jesus's ministry. Chapters 8 and 9 include a number of events where Jesus is demonstrating his authority. He, uh, he uh, casts demons out of demonized people. He calms a storm by his word alone. He heals people with incurable diseases such as blindness and leprosy. And so he is 
he is moving in a powerful way. He's going about the towns, the cities, the villages. He's encountering people, and the kingdom of God is bursting forth and changing people's lives. And so there's two chapters of this ministry of Jesus touching people's lives in dramatic ways. And then here we get this summary statement about his motive for ministry. And we saw last week that what motivates this is the glory of God. He wants to honor his Father who has sent him. We see that elsewhere in the Gospels. And then secondly, he, he has a heart for people. He has compassion for people. That is really his motive. We talked last week about Jesus' compassionate care for the lost. And here's what we see this in verse uh, 36. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them. And we talked about this compassion that the word literally means from the gut. Or we might say from the heart would be a way we would say it. But when Jesus encountered people of all sorts, those who were physically suffering and those who were not necessarily in dire physical needs but were just regular folk in life, going through normal life, when he saw them, from his gut, he felt compassion for them. He was moved. He felt pity for them. His heart went out to them. The lostness of people, people who were distant from God, people who are under the wrath of God, which is all of us apart from Christ, these people matter to Jesus, and he is affected by them. As a matter of fact, we said that compassion is really the dominant emotion we find in the Savior. If you just survey the texts of Scripture, you'll find that to be true. He had compassion. The reason he had compassion was because when he saw people, he saw them as shepherdless sheep sheep without a shepherd. They were harassed, he said, which means they are distressed, they are in danger, they are vulnerable. Sheep need a shepherd to lead them to pasture, to food and water, to protect them from the dangers of predators and such. And so what he's saying is these sheep that he sees, these people that he sees are distressed, they are vulnerable. Because of their sins, they're they are facing an eternity apart from Christ. And they're not only uh, harassed or distressed, the word literally means. They're also helpless. They can't do anything about it. They're in dire, eternal need, and they cannot help themselves. And so when Jesus sees them, he is moved with compassion. And we talked last week about our desire to carry Christ's heart for people as well who don't know him. So Christ's compassionate care for the lost. That's what we talk about. That really should fuel our compassionate prayer for the lost. That's today's message. His compassionate care should lead us to compassionate prayer. And that's what we see in the next section. Look at verse 37. Then he said to his disciples, The harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. So Jesus changes the metaphor. We're talking about sheep without a shepherd, and now he changes it. He's going to talk about something totally different. Well, they're related, but it's a different picture. He's going to talk about a crop. He's going to use the agricultural metaphor of harvesting a crop. And so the process of rescuing lost sheep here is compared to a harvest bringing in a harvest. And the first thing he says about this harvest is that there is an opportunity I want to talk about the opportunity, I want to talk about the need, and I want to talk about our response to the need. First of all, the opportunity. The harvest, he says, verse 37, is plentiful. It is harvest time, the crop is huge, the grain is ready, 
and it's time to pick the grain, harvest the grain, and bring it into the barn. Now, he's speaking metaphorically. He's speaking about people that are ready to be harvested. How do we know that? Well, the context. He's just talked about ministering to people, serving people, helping people, having compassion for people. And now he's saying these shepherdless sheep are like a harvest. They are ready to be harvested. There are people all around who do not have a shepherd. If I can mix the metaphors, they don't have a shepherd who is Jesus. They need Jesus and they're ready to be harvested. That is, they're ready to be introduced to Jesus, to be rescued by him, to be saved by him. Now, Jesus in the first place is making a statement here that has to do with the history of salvation. So what he's saying is there have been sheep who have needed a shepherd for a long time and finally he has come christmas the incarnation what we celebrate this time of year the shepherd the savior the rescuer has come and through his life his death his resurrection his ascension his pouring out his spirit upon his church this is in birthing the church this is the work of the one who has come to harvest and so the harvester, the great shepherd, has come. But, but he's not just making a statement about his ministry. He's about to send others out. The season between Jesus' first coming and his second coming, the time we're living in right now between his first and second coming, that is the time of harvest. And so once Christ comes, the harvesting begins. And so we now, as followers of Jesus, are in the season of harvest. You can look around the room, and that's, there's proof of that. You were harvested. That is, I mean, it can kind of sound impersonal, but it, it means that you were a wandering sheep, and the shepherd came out after you and brought you to himself. He died for you, paid for, paid for your sins, was resurrected in power to defeat the power of sin, opened your eyes, drew you to himself, and brought you to himself. That is called being harvested in this picture as well. So, when we talk about a harvest, it's sort of difficult to move sometimes from the philosophical idea of harvest to something very personal, to think about people being harvested. And we don't often see the harvest is ready, the harvest is ripe, the harvest is plentiful. We often don't see the opportunity. We often don't see people as ready, what might sound better than ready to be harvested, ready to meet the shepherd, ready to have their sins forgiven, ready to receive new life, open to the gospel. We often don't see people this way. And, and one reason is because we may not be seeing them as Jesus sees them. We may not be looking, and when we see people, having compassion on our heart for them, not seeing them as a hindrance, but seeing them as those who are in need of the Savior. So we may not see them as Jesus sees them compassionately, but even if we do see them compassionately, we, we often don't know who really is ready to respond. And, and we're not very good at guessing at it either. Sometimes you can see a really desperate person circumstantially that isn't interested in the Lord sometimes, and sometimes you can find people that look like they have no need whatsoever that are wide open to the gospel because we don't know what's happening in the interior of someone's heart. We don't know what's really going on in someone's life unless we pray, unless we see, unless we relate, unless we take initiative, unless we, unless we interact with them. You just don't know. You don't know what's going on in someone's heart that 
that is bringing them to a place where they see their need. I recently had an experience like this where there was someone that doesn't, to my knowledge, doesn't know the Lord, someone that I know, and uh, I had been praying for this individual, and because the Lord just put on my heart, uh, I feel like, thinking about this person, so I just began to pray for them, and uh, then I sought them out to ask, you know, how, how was life going, what was going on, and when I talked to this person, who I wouldn't have known externally what was going on, if anything great or bad, or I don't know, but they were just on my heart. And so I asked them, and what I, what I found out was this person had recently experienced a life-altering uh, tragedy, suffering, circumstance in their life. Something had happened in their life that was actually life-altering. And, and I, I wouldn't have even known it. I wouldn't have even known it. And so... Once I found out about this, I expressed my concern, I expressed my sorrow, and uh, I asked the person if they were open to, you know, conversation about spiritual things, about God, about spiritual matters. And the individual said to me, yes, of course, because everyone who experiences this, what this person was going through, everyone who experiences tragedy, like this, is open to talking about spiritual matters. Now, that may not be true 100% of the time, but that was the perspective I never would have known. So I didn't look out and say, here's a person open to the Lord, because I didn't even know what was happening in their lives. But there were people all around us who are experiencing things in their lives that are causing them to ask questions about God, or causing their hearts to soften to God, or causing them to see their need for God. And God puts us in their pathway so that we can talk to them and so that we can tell them about the shepherd who is going after wandering sheep, the shepherd who cares about people that are harassed, distressed, and helpless, and he has made a way for them to be right with the Father. The opportunity is great, and we, we often don't even know it. Listen, I don't know what your expectations are about harvest, but if your expectations are to be biblical, if my expectations are to be biblical, the, our view should be a huge harvest, a huge harvest worldwide. And this is how we know that, because when we get a picture, a glimpse into heaven, when we get a glimpse of people gathered around God and worshiping, this is what John writes in Revelation 7. He says, a great multitude that no one could number. A great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white clothes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. The vision he has of heaven is not a few people who made it in, a handful of faithful. He sees a multitude that is too great to number. Now this is all of history. But, but believers throughout history gathered around the throne saying and proclaiming salvation belongs to our God and we're proof. We're proof. We've been saved. The harvest is plentiful. The harvest is in your neighborhood, my neighborhood. The, uh, the, the harvest is in your workplace. The harvest is in our families. The harvest is wherever there are people without Christ. 
The harvest is international. The harvest is wherever there are people without Christ, the shepherd is pursuing sheep. And so the opportunity is great. He, he doesn't want the disciples to get the impression they're going to be persecuted, there's going to be difficulty. Many of them won't live to see the great harvest. So he doesn't want them to have the impression that no one's going to believe this message. He says the harvest is plentiful, and Scripture bears that out. There's not only an opportunity, but there's a need. Look at verse 37. The laborers are few. The harvest is huge, but the laborers are few. Did you hear that? The laborers are few. I don't know if you knew this, but that's the first children's ministry announcement in all the Bible. The laborers are few. Thank you. Thank you. I'll be playing here each evening. Um, Okay, there's not very many people. The laborers are few. There's plenty of people who need a Savior, but we need harvesters is what Jesus is saying. There's a labor shortage. We need folks to pick the grain and bring it into the barn. We need folks who see that there are sheep without a shepherd, that there are people who lack a connection with Jesus Christ, and we want to harvest we want to be those who pray for those to be sent out into the harvest but the laborers are few well what does a laborer do in the harvest i think in the context a laborer is someone who sees what jesus sees who has a heart of compassion who sees sheep that are wandering that are aimless that are helpless that cannot help themselves that need a shepherd and interacts with them and points them to the shepherd can't force them to the shepherd. They may, they may persist in their independence. But just to point them to the good news that there is one who has given his life, God has, the God-man Jesus has given his life that you may receive new life and have your sins forgiven. So laborers are those who are in the field. Doesn't mean preaching sermons necessarily. That's part of it. But it means just being in the field, being among the harvest, being in the field, befriending people in the harvest, praying for people in the harvest. The laborers are those who are relating with people in the harvest. Those who are, um, I mean, I just gave the example of giving a flyer to someone. I mean, that's being a laborer in the harvest. I mean, it doesn't seem like really hard work. Sometimes it is, sometimes it's not so much hard work. But it's, it's an invitation. It's sharing our story. It's drawing others out and getting to know them and befriending them. It's sharing our testimony. It's inviting them to observe God at work in community in our midst. It's somehow communicating the gospel or inviting them to the place where they can hear of the shepherd and the good news. It's, it's all of those kinds of things. It's, 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 it's seeing, it's praying, it's caring, it's connecting, it's relating. It's not a program. It, it's a heart. It's a life. Moved with compassion is not a program. His heart was moved with compassion. He had compassion for them. We, we, can't, we can't institutionalize that. We can't program that. That's encountering God and having the Holy Spirit change our hearts and change our vision and change the way we even view the purpose of our lives so there's a need for laborers to get the message out and that's the harvest that's that's laboring in the harvest here's how romans 10 says it's something very similar how then will they call on him in whom they have not believed and how are they to believe 
in him of whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? How will they know if someone doesn't tell the sheep, lost sheep there's a shepherd? How will they know if someone doesn't get into the harvest field and begin to harvest the crop? Romans 10, how will they hear without a preacher? How will they preach unless they are sent? And that points to Jesus' next point. There's a great opportunity. There's a great need. And here's the response. Given the opportunity and the need, what is the first thing the disciples should do? Are they to organize? Are they to have a strategy? Are they to come up with a plan? Are they to put on a class, a training session? Are they to get into the field now? Well, the first thing they're to do is pray. That's what he says. Look at verse 38. Because the harvest is plentiful, because the laborers are few, 38, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into the harvest. I mean, that seems like a strange action step. I mean, we could look out and say, that grain's not going to pick itself. That grain ain't picking itself. So what do you mean, why are we going to pray? There's grain, there's time. The time is limited in the harvest, both literally and spiritually. Christ is coming back, people die. So there's a limited amount of time. What, what in the, we, we can't just stand around, we've we got to do something. What about action? What about production? What about results? I mean, we're Americans, right? So what about some results? I mean, more than Americans, we're Texans. I mean, we have the can-do spirit. We can make this thing happen, right? You pray, I'm going to go make it happen because I get things done in Texas. We, de- we have development, rapid development. We, just, we, we see an opportunity, we see a need, we make it happen. That, that could be the response, but he says, now he's going to send them out in the next chapter, but he says, first of all, pray earnestly, sincerely, from the heart, from the gut, the same compassion that motivates the heart response for people in need. Pray with that response. Pray with that vigor. Pray with that heart that laborers will be sent to the harvest, that people may be brought in to meet the Savior. Listen, Jesus is for action. We, you read the next chapter, you'll see that. He is for action, but he starts with prayer. And here's why. Prayer is fundamentally, at the, at the bottom line, prayer is fundamentally a recognition of our need for God. That's what prayer is. A lot of that can-do, make-it-happen, entrepreneurial spirit that's, that's part of our culture in this country and for sure in this state, and for sure in this area, of our state. Some of that's just a self-sufficient who needs God to tell you the truth. That's really what it is. And he's saying, yes, there's action to be taken, but we need to recognize our need for God. The needs in the harvest and the needs for laborers are way beyond us. The needs in the harvest and the needs for labor, it's a God, harvest is a God-sized task. And you don't tackle a God-sized task dependent on the Lord of the harvest, who is harvesting, dependent on Him. We don't just waltz into that doing our deal and our strength without acknowledging God. 
We must ask God for his heart. We must ask God for his grace. We must ask God for his spirit to empower us. The church isn't even birthed by just going out and making it happen. Jesus says, you guys go wait from the Holy Spirit for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit on high will fall on you, will fill you, and then you will be empowered. And you see throughout the, the Gospel of Acts, you see at times people praying. Acts 4, for instance. They, they reach out and they gather and they pray and they cry out to God, give us boldness, and then they go. And it's this, it's this dependence upon God to put on the heart for laborers to be sent out and to empower those laborers once they are sent out. There's a labor shortage, so we must pray. And it's ultimately God who harvests. Do you see what he says here? Jesus says, therefore pray earnestly to the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. He is the one harvesting, because only God gives a new heart, only God saves. And he is the one who, if we could say, owns the harvest. He is the one that touches hearts. He is the one that brings people in. He is the one that gives conviction of sin and new life. And it's him, it's his people. When we see Revelation 7, all these people gathered around the throne saying salvation belongs to our God. Not our strategy, not our charisma, not our winsome approach. It belongs to our God. God can use all of those things, strategy, charisma, winsome approach, but it's God. There's not people gathering around, look what we did for you, Lord. It's look what you did. Salvation belongs to you. He is the Lord of the harvest. Or at the end of Matthew, all authority is given to me, therefore you go. The authority is his, the power is his, the harvest is his. So that's why we pray to him. And it's interesting. He doesn't just say pray that people will be saved, though I, we should pray that. It's not forbidding that. But he says he prays that workers, the great need is for people to be in the harvest. The great need is for people to live their lives outwardly focused. The great need is for all of God's people to be deployed in his mission. So that's why he says pray that people will be sent. I mean, I think the reality for myself is pray that I'm aware that I am sent and I'm in the middle of the harvest field. This is to pray, God, help us see this. Now, prayer is not a substitute for labor in the field, but the work of harvesting is dependent on prayer because the work of harvesting is dependent upon God. It is God that harvests, therefore we are dependent upon him. This is how D.A. Carson says it. I think this is clear. This does not mean that we should do nothing but pray, but it does mean we should do nothing without praying. It doesn't mean we do nothing but pray. What's your contribution to participating as a harvester? I pray. That's all I do. I pray isolated. I don't know anyone, don't talk to anyone, but I just pray. No, we wouldn't say that. We don't say we do nothing but pray, but we do say we do nothing without praying. And when we're praying for God to send laborers into the harvest, um, we should expect that at points we're going to be the answer to our own prayers. We're going to be the answer to our own prayers. When we're praying, God, would you send people out? God, would you reach people? I'm going to find myself in circumstances where there's a tap on the shoulder and I realize, oh, I'm the one sent. I'm in the field. That's right. That's right. My experience personally is that when I'm praying on this topic, my experience is when I'm praying regularly on this topic, I see people differently. My heart is different towards people. 
And amazingly, opportunities present themselves. Now, I wonder, were those opportunities there all the time and I just didn't see them? Or in response to prayer, are the opportunities popping out all of a sudden? I don't know. But I do know that when we pray, is it just a matter of seeing what's been there? Or is it a matter of God sovereignly creating people in our path that weren't there? Whatever it is, when we pray, my experience is that I have compassion for people who need Christ when I'm praying for that. And I find myself connected with people where all of a sudden there's an opportunity. Or I find myself with someone I've known and befriended, and there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity. And that's why prayer is just absolutely so important. So, how do we apply this? I'm going to give three applications for this praying for laborers to be sent in the harvest. I'm going to talk about praying far, praying for laborers far away, praying for laborers near, and praying for laborers here. If we're to pray for them, how do we pray far away? How do we pray near? How do we pray here? Um, The harvest is worldwide. The, The great commission is for the gospel to go into all of the world. So we are to pray for laborers to be sent, for scripture to be translated, for churches to be planted, and for in those churches which are planted, indigenous people in that culture to be deployed in their culture from their church to reach their the, the people that they are a part of. So we want to pray for laborers into the harvest, which could be someone going cross-culturally, but ultimately will be those within that culture that are sent into their own harvest field. That's the ultimate goal. So not all of us, um, as a matter of fact, most of us will not spend our lives in a cross-cultural um, nation somewhere. Most of us will spend our lives in the nation of our birth. Some will go, but those who don't go and remain where they are can all, and, and we are all called to pray, to pray and to send, to participate in the sending of others. We're to pray that others be sent, and wherever we can, we're to pray for those who are sent and participate. We can also participate with our finances in sending others. Here's two applications to this praying far. First of all, last su- we pray every Friday morning at the church building here down in the conference room. And this summer we started doing something we got off on, but we're back on it as of, I think, this week. Um, is that we used to take the first Friday and pray for the nation. So we would pray specifically on the first Friday for different things that we're aware of, people that we would know, someone can come to the meeting with something they know, a burden they have, um, or something to for uh, gospel advance, church planting, reaching folks in other nations. So we're back on that. So once a month, that's a place where you can come and we, can, we, we will fulfill, we will seek to corporately together fulfill 938. Pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. Secondly, you can begin praying now. Early 2011, uh, we're going to present a, uh, a short-term mission opportunity for our church to participate. Uh, this isn't permanent, but a short-term type of a thing to participate uh, in some mission in Africa. So we'll, we're going to talk about that the first of the year. We'll let you know about that. But you can begin to pray now. God, would you send people from our church on a short-term team, would you provide for them? Would you send the right people that you want to go and all that kind of stuff? So we'll talk about that at the first of the year, but you could begin praying now that not only others would be sent, but at least in the short term, our church could participate in the Great Commission physically by being on the ground to serve a church in another nation. So we'll talk about that soon. Secondly, pray for near. Near might be praying for church plants in our own country. 
in our own country. Pray that laborers would be sent out to plant, not only internationally, but plant churches in our country. We feel a call to plant churches as a church. And we have not, if you didn't know this, we have not planted a church from our church yet. We trust, God willing, we will. I mean, we pray we would participate and partner in planting numbers of churches, but, but that hasn't happened yet. And I've been asked, well, like, when are we and how do we know it's the Lord's will and the Lord's timing? Um, uh, here's when it's not the Lord's timing. When it's not the Lord's timing is when you don't have a church planter to lead the plant. It's not the Lord's timing just to send a lot of people out and say, hey, hope, hope some, something happens, some, something emerges. You know, let us know how that thing works out there. Uh, we, we need church planters. So you can pray that God would raise up. We have not had an abundance. We have not had a minimal amount. It, we, we just don't have church planters swelling in our ranks who are called and gifted as of yet to plant churches. I think we have some possibilities, but we don't have that group. So we're working on some training material to train church planters, um, and numbers of things. But you could just pray that God would raise up church planters in our midst. Also, the group of churches we're a part of called Sovereign Grace Ministries is we're doing our first church planting conference. If you have a heart for church planting, if you're interested in church planting, if you want to know how to pray more intelligently for church planting, you're welcome to come to this conference. Um, here's where you can look it up. It's SGM, Sovereign Grace Ministries, plant. SGM plant, SGM plant, sgmplant.org sgmplant.org. You can go there and find out about the whole conference. It's in Philadelphia in March. You're welcome to come, but, but you're all more than welcome to pray. Pray for that conference. Pray that God will raise up planters in our midst that we can partner with. That's praying far. That's praying near. And, and pray that God will give us wisdom as to when we can plant, because we hope to, we want to, we feel God will lead us to. S- lastly, pray here, far, near, here. When he says, verse 38, therefore pray earnestly for the Lord of the harvest to send out laborers into his harvest. I mean, the question can kind of, where is his harvest? Well, for each of us, his harvest is where you're standing. His harvest is your mailing address. His harvest is your job site, your work, your your connections at work, wherever you live your life. See, we want to make sure that we don't view the sending of the laborers out as to something that, we're, that everyone else is supposed to do or something that's supposed to happen elsewhere, that it's a foreign land, that it's a church plant. It's where God has placed me. It's my family, my neighbors, my coworkers, my acquaintances, the people we meet. We want to pray that God would send us where he's placed us. In other words, Lord, I don't want to just live my life. I want to live sent. I'm going to live a sent life. We're going to talk about this a lot in 2011 as we go through the Gospel of John because the idea of being sent is the primary view of the whole letter. I mean, the whole Gospel is that Jesus is the one sent and Jesus sends people. So this idea of being sent is a way we want to live. And of the three things I'm talking about, pray far, pray near, pray here, this is the hardest. This is by far the hardest because I end up being an answer to my own prayer 30 minutes after I prayed the prayer when I walk into the office and start encountering my office buddies. I find it a lot easier to pray for a church plant that I'll never visit and to pray for a nation I'll never go to because though prayer is a labor, I'll never personally be challenged to interact with people with the gospel there. 
So far, praying for far for laborers, very important. Praying near for laborers, very important. Praying here for laborers means I'm volunteering now. It's not a mission trip next year. It's not a church plant three years from now. It's lunch. I mean, so this one is a challenge because it involves me saying, God, here I am, send me where I am. Here I am, send me where I am. So we want to pray, God, mold our hearts as laborers in the harvest. Open our eyes to people all around. Help us to view them with compassion as you have had compassion upon us. May we have compassion upon others. This is to affect how I view life. Affects how I, how I live, where I live, what I do, how I invest my time, how I invest my finances, that I am viewing my life with a view towards the harvest. And this is, this is where the connection, I think, comes with um, our Generations Fund and the, and the Frisco Square Project that we've talked about for several weeks now is that this is where the harvest intersects. We've talked about an opportunity. If this is your first Sunday here, I, I won't review it all. There's a brochure in the back. But uh, we have been donated land given to us in Frisco Square. And so it's just a great opportunity for whenever we are able in the future, when God says it's the right time, when we have the finances to be able to build there, God willing. And so we're seeking to invest now for that time. And really, that is about compassion for the crowds. That is ultimately about, should be about, being thrown in the midst of the harvest. I mean, I think connecting, being a laborer in the harvest looks, there's different aspects to this. One is what I just said, pray for here. Lord, would you send me into my harvest? Which could, would you just send, could I live sent? Could I be a testimony? Could I be a witness? Could I look for opportunity? Could I pray? Could I share? Could I invite? Could I serve? Could I care? Could I help? All those kinds of things. So that personal laborer in the harvest is huge. It's also huge. We talked about John 17 recently, that as we relate in community, that those who don't know the Lord will, will see, and as they, I can tell their disciples because of their love for one another. I know the Father sent the Son because I can see how they live, so they're demonstrating the message of the gospel. That, we talked about that. So th- I'm individually sent. We're sent as groups. So our community groups are to be increasingly, I think, a window to people as, uh, uh, of, the, of the fruit of the gospel, that Jesus saves people and brings them together. And our community is a testimony. As we are one, that, so that we're to be one so that the world may know, Jesus says in John 17. Or other groupings of Christian friends, you know, there could be, or other ministries of the church, where you're together and your interaction together brings power to draw other folks who don't know the Lord to see that relationship. So community brings that. So there's individual labor, there's community labor, and then there's congregational labor as well. I mean, I think, I think we as a congregation are sent as laborers. And we're to go, but the harvest also is welcome to come. <laughs> we'll, we'll invite... The, wheat can come in and meet with us. I mean, here's the reality. The reality is that a lot of folks are led to Christ one-on-one by an individual. A lot of folks are led to Christ because they see group interaction of a small group of people. And a ton of folks are led to Christ because they hear the gospel preached in a building. That's just the reality. A lot of people come to church, hear the gospel, or at least that's a significant part of their conversion. may not be the first and only time they hear it, but that's significant. So our gathering 
This isn't just an evangelistic outreach. But our gathering is, is the work of harvest. We talk about the gospel and sing about the gospel every week so that someone can come. We can invite someone, especially on special occasions like next week, but all the time. They can hear the gospel, and they can meet an individual, and they can see group interaction. I mean, all three of them can happen to some degree when we gather on a Sunday. So, so the meeting is important for the harvest. We don't put all our eggs in this basket. We don't say interact with no one, but let's just hope mysteriously they find us. They'll probably find us because you have been interacting with them, but not always. Sometimes they drive by. Sometimes they see something. Sometimes they get online. And so really, where we're placed is strategic. And to be thrown in the middle of the harvest field where there's just a crop, where there's a gathering, where the wheat is showing up geographically to that area, and to be in a place where there's a crop all around in easy access is strategic. It's strategic. We pray, we're dependent, it's the Lord's harvest, but God gives gifts to be used and leveraged for laboring and for harvesting. And so that's really what we see that location as. Not a, it won't be built as some fantastic monument to Grace Church, not at all. We're not trying to build a monument, we're trying to get, in the, get strategically as connected in the harvest field as much as possible. So it prov- provides an opportunity and it provides a long-term opportunity for us to worship, serve, reach out to the community. I trust God willing for generations, for generations. So it's our privilege to invest for the building of a facility that will be here for generations to come to reach people with the gospel. It's just a tool. It's just a tool. But it's a well-placed tool, and it's, it's, a, it's a, a, a tool with a tremendous opportunity attached to it simply because the land and the parking's all donated. So it's a tremendous opportunity for us. So we want to give with harvest in mind. We don't place our confidence in a building. We don't place our confidence in a building. That's why we pray the Lord of the harvest. We place our confidence in the Lord of the harvest. We don't place our confidence in our small groups to be so awesome. You just are, they're amazing. And I just, wow. No, we place our confidence in the God, the Lord of the harvest, the Lord of the community groups. And we don't place our confidence in us individually. I am so persuasive. I have an argument for everything they say. I can debate every point they make. No, our confidence is in the Lord of the harvest. Therefore, we pray, we serve, we love, we reach out, and today we give. We give. That's part of it as well. You've been listening to a message from Grace Church. For more information, visit www.gracechurchfrisco.com dot o-r-g